And then I'll see my friend in the lawn. Her friend in the Lord is like no other friend. Because he shares your love for God, builds your faith in him. Thank the Lord your God for those he's given you. Ones you call your friend, ones you call your friend, ones you call your friend in the Lord. All right, uh, good evening. If you could cut that back a little bit, uh, Trent. Thanks. Good evening. Could you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 30, please? Romans chapter 15, verse 30. I thought there was somebody lurking out there. Come on in. All right, uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer before we get underway. Remember, we have a prayer meeting after the service, and then we have our deacons meeting. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, another day to learn about your plan for our lives, to become like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we just thank you, Father, for gracing us out, treating us in a manner that we don't deserve. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son to the cross for us while we were yet your enemies and raising us up and seating us with your Son when we we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Father, help us to see that you've treated us in this fashion and that we would operate in faith and treat each other the same way you've treated us. And we pray, Father, that for uh, the needs of this church, that you would uh, continue to bring in the finances that we need to continue forward. And we just pray, Father, that you'd raise up positive volition in this ministry and other ministries throughout this country and the world. And we just thank you, Father, for this study in the Book of Romans. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to guide us and direct us in this study. We pray, Father, that you would open the hearts of your people so that they could hear the Spirit speaking through the message. And we pray, Father, that those in the audience would have objectivity and humility and sensitivity to the Spirit's guidance and direction this evening. Help us all to concentrate through the power of the Spirit. And we also pray that you would give grace to the communicator. Help him to deliver your full counsel to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power so that your people would be ministered to and you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey, Trent, that's got to go down a little bit further. That's echoing. You get a feedback there. Just a little bit more. All right, that's good. Uh, just a touch. 
It, I know it's pain in the rear, but Titus will tell you. All right, that'll have to go. Good. All right, should we have Romans fifteen thirty, please? Romans chapter fifteen, verse thirty. All right, last evening we began a study of Romans 15.31. Remember, we're we're near the end of chapter 15. And we began a study of Romans 15.31 last evening by noting the first prayer request that Paul makes of the Roman believers. And that was that he would be delivered by God from those in Judea who were disobedient to the gospel. Those who were disobedient to the gospel were the unbelieving Jews who rejected the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And we see that uh, one of the aspects of prayer, one of the things that we should pray for is deliverance from our enemies. Now, we know that uh, in the spiritual realm, in our position in Christ, we're delivered from the sin nature, Satan and his cosmic system. However, we can't experience that in time if we're not operating in what the Bible says about our deliverance, that is, cru- that we're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. The Spirit has taught us that in the book of Romans. So if we want to experience that deliverance now in time, we have to take on faith what the Bible says about us. So we've also seen there's a, a diff- deliverance from our enemies in the natural realm. Now remember, Satan can use unbelievers, and he was using unbelievers in Judea to try to stop the communication of the gospel. He was trying to take, uh, Satan was trying to use um, unsaved individuals in Judea, the Jewish people there that were had rejected Christ, use these individuals to stop Paul from proclaiming the gospel. See, Paul was doing a tremendous damage to the kingdom of darkness because he was evangelizing the Gentiles. And that he was, this gift that he would be bringing to uh, Judea from the poor, uh, uh, to the poor Jewish saints in, in Jerusalem that came from the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia, that gift would be a token of unity and also an expression of the Gentile believers' love to the Jewish believers. Satan didn't want that. He doesn't want unity. He's against unity. And as I've said many, many times, he's in the churches trying to disrupt churches. And he did it in Paul's day, and he's doing it in our day and age. And we have to be aware of that. So we see that Paul, one of the things that Paul did is he requested that the Roman believers, he solicited their prayers because he knew that God rules history. One of the ways that God rules history is through the prayers of his saints. We study that in our, uh, when we, we study the whole subject of prayer. And so Paul knew that. And so, as I, I mentioned last evening, could God have delivered Paul uh, from the, uh, the unsaved Jewish believers in Jerusalem without any prayers? Yeah, absolutely. But why does he solicit the prayers of believers? One, he wants us to operate in love toward our fellow believers. Paul, uh, God wants uh, believers to pray for each other. Not that he, that he can't deliver other believers from adversity, but he wants other believers to have a concern. He's trying to develop character, the character of his son, the character and nature of his son in our lives. That's why he asks us to pray for each other. And this is what Paul, you know, this is the one of the ways God uses. He's very, God's very, uh, uh, let's say, magnanimous. He, he's very, he's an individual that uh, will. He, could he have done it? Could he have delivered the, uh, Paul? Yes. But he likes to use believers. He's trying to get believers to be on the same page as him. And he gives us the great blessing of being taking part and being instrumental and uh, uh, being a, a part of the deliverance of certain individuals uh, in our lives. Take, for instance, there's an individual in Pakistan that uh, we, uh, a lot of us know who he is, Pastor Azam in Pakistan. Uh, the, is, um, the Muslims there gave him an ultimatum, you know, get out of the country, we're going to murder 
murder all you and your family. And so he ended up having to flee the country, and he was delivered. It was very touch and go there. So people were praying for him, not only the people on our email list, prayer list, but other churches as well. And he was delivered. He safely arrived in Australia. So that's still going on today. Remember, uh, Paul, Satan wanted to snuff out Paul because Paul was preaching the gospel. Thus, the applications I've been trying to bring out, and hopefully people hear what the Spirit's saying, he would like to stop the communication of the gospel, not only in Iowa, but also around the globe. Now, this evening, we're going to complete the verse by noting Paul's second request, namely that his service on behalf of the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the Jewish saints in that city. So we see that if you want to have success in life, in the spiritual realm, Paul knew that success in this delivery of this gift to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem was very, was essential that the Roman believers, as a corporate unit, would pray for him, that it would be successful. And it was successful because God used their prayers to make it successful. Now look at Romans 15.30. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, or as we saw on the basis of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit, we are to strive together with me, he says, in your prayers to God for me, that I might be rescued from those who were disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So we see the basis for the prayer. First of all, Paul says, here's the basis for the prayer. We have a common relationship with each other. Me and you Roman believers, we have a common relationship with each other. Based upon that, we should be, you should, I want you to pray for me. Application, you and I are all related to each other, spiritual brothers and sisters. Where you ought to pray for me and I'm to pray for you. Also, it says, by the love of the Spirit, on the basis of the love produced by the Spirit, we are to pray for each other. If we love one another, we pray for each other. And then, that's the basis, he says. I want you to pray for me based upon the love that's produced by the Spirit in our common relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the content, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, that was answered as we saw last evening, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, and that was uh, received as well. That was uh, a success as well, all because of the corporate prayer of the Roman believers. And also, Paul, I'm sure, solicited the prayers, appealed to people in other churches in the Roman Empire that he established to pray for this at the same things as well, not just the Roman believers. So this is what we see. Corporate prayer changed things. Remember, as I told you before, God controls history through the prayers of his saints. Now, what is the application for us? This ministry is absolutely dependent upon corporate prayer. We need to pray for our ministry. And when we do that, that's when you see growth. That's when you see barriers being broken down. But it takes faith to pray. It takes faith to pray as a corporate unit. And if we don't have faith that prayer can affect change, then we won't pray and we won't get involved in corporate prayer. I don't know how any other way to put it to you. That's the way it is. And we need to say, be humble and say, hey, we need to do this. And if we're doing it already, good. Continue forward doing what you've been doing. Now, when he says, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints is an additional purpose for Paul appealing to the Romans to fight together with him by means means of their prayers on behalf of him. Now, the first purpose, as we saw, for Paul desiring the intercessory prayers of the Roman believers was so that he might be rescued from those Jews in Judea who were disobedient to the gospel. And now we see the additional request 
is that his service for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem and delivering the contribution from the Gentile churches and Macedonia and Achaia would be acceptable to the Jewish saints in the city. Why was it important that this was accepted by the Jewish people, the Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem? Because it would demonstrate, it would be a symbol of unity between Jew and Gentile. See, that's what Jesus' last, Jesus last words to his apostles was a prayer for unity. Was a prayer for unity. Because the devil is, is the opposite direction. So we're in a combat. We're in a spiritual warfare. And this, Paul wants this to be a success because it would bring glory to God. We have, just imagine that. You get Jewish believers who were raised in the law. And then you have Gentile believers, as we saw in Romans 14, that were not raised in the law, that were involved in pagan idolatry. And the two, from totally different backgrounds, would, would, would uh, be united. And in fact, the Jewish believers and their doubts about Gentile believers would be uh, ex- extinguished when they saw this gift. Imagine what it must have stroked in the hearts of the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, when they saw this gift being delivered to them, who were poor and said, wow, we're wrong about these people, these Gentile believers. They do love God's people. There is the love of God in their lives. Look at this. They demonstrated it in this gift to me. And, and, and as the, that's what the Jewish believer would be saying. So we see that this was, ex, this was going to be, one, a symbol of unity, an expression of the Gentile believer's love for the Jewish believers. And what is, what is love? It's the bond of unity. Hold your place. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, please. Look at Colossians chapter 3. It's after Philippians. Look at Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, and the Greek says you have, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, that means concentrate, on the things above not on the things that are on the earth. Does that mean forget about your responsibilities? No. But we can put our our situations, our circumstances ahead of our relationship with God. We can lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is in control. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we can lose sight of the fact that we're seated at the right hand of the Father and that we're the apple of the Lord's eye. And we can get our eyes on our adversities rather than on the Lord. And that's the kiss of death for us. So he says, set your mind, means concentrate on the things above, your relationship with God, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, the unbelievers. And in them you also once walked. You used to be an unbeliever too, he's saying, when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Look what he says we're to put aside. That means the fact that he has to tell us this means that we can do this because we have a sin nature. Put aside all anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, the nature of Christ, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, he's saying, holy and beloved, put on our heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now look what he says. Beyond all these things, put on love. Why? It's the perfect bond of unity. That is what Paul understood, of course, by the Spirit. And when he, that gift was an expression of the Gentile believer's love for the Jewish believers, and that would unite the two. And what's, why is that important? Unity brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now there is sometimes, Paul talks about this to the Corinthians, that it is absolutely, it's essential that it takes place, that there would be divisions take place among the Corinthians, because it demonstrates who's approved by God, and who is not when such things take place. He taught the Corinthians that, and there were a lot of divisions in Corinth. But Paul here in Romans, in context, he wants to have that unity because he knows that is what God desires among believers, Jew and Gentile, and that's what this gift was so important. That's why he was praying, asking the Roman believers, to, praying, asking them to pray for the success that this gift from the Gentiles would be accepted by the Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 17. Another passage which talks about unity. John 17, 1. This is the, la- the last words that Jesus had to the church. John 17, 1. John 17, 1. This is the night he was betrayed by... J- Judas has already betrayed him. And now this is uh, getting later in the evening. And now he's going to talk to them. He's going he's to actually talk to the Father and let everybody hear in the room what his prayer was to the Father. We studied this prayer. It's in the book on prayer. Look at John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine and yours, yours are mine, and that I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you. And then he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, 
that they may be one even as we are. And this prayer is answered. That's why you have eternal, one of the reasons why you have eternal security. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Judas, of course. Then he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, or by the word of God, the truth of, of the word of God. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify them, my, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be, what? One. And even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they that they also may be in us, in fellowship with us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You want to hurt a testimony of a church? Have divisions. Right there. Now you know why Paul knew that this gift, and he asked everybody to pray that the success of this gift, it was absolutely essential. Why? Because God would be glorified. That's why he asked for this prayer for the Roman believers. I want this gift to be accepted by them. Please pray that it would be accepted by them because it will bring glory to God. It will reveal to everybody that we are of God. And that we are, God is working in our midst. And that would be another way that the unsaved would be drawn to the Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we talk about Jesus and we want people to come to Jesus, but we need to show Jesus. And we show Jesus in our own lives and also in the lives of our church. So he says in verse 22, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. These are the last words that Jesus had to say to his church. Just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. So when there's unity, the world knows who sent us. Then he says, goes on to say, and he says in verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. That will be answered. We're going to see the Lord's glory, all of us. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That's unity. Jesus was very, very concerned about that, and we see that Paul was also concerned about that. He knew that this gift, that when he delivered it from the Gentile churches in Macedonia to the Jewish believers, that was accepted, that would bring glory to God. Now go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 30, please. Romans fifteen thirty. Hopefully you held your place. Romans fifteen thirty. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together, fight together with me, in your prayers to God for me. Why? That I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem 
may prove acceptable to the saints. Now, when he says my service, in the original we have the noun theokinia, and that is translated correctly service, and then we have the personal pronoun ego, translated correctly mine. Now, this noun theokinia refers to Paul's service on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and delivering the contribution from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. See, Paul, though he was the great apostle, and though he was an individual that had the ultimate authority in the church, he didn't, he used this, he used that authority to serve. He used it to serve others. He didn't use it to boss people around. He used it to serve. That's the mark of a person who understands Christian service. And Paul was all about serving his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how he demonstrated his leadership. That's how he has always did, always demonstrated his leadership because he understood what Jesus taught with the foot washing ceremony in John 13. And also he taught his disciples in Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, boys, he was talking to the apostles who were fighting each other. He said, if you want to be great, you're going to have to serve one another just as I have served you. And that took them back because they weren't, they, that's not how they looked at things. They looked at things from a worldly perspective and not from a spiritual perspective. See, this is what was the problem in eternity past with the devil and his rebellion. He thought that he could, he wanted to be served. He wanted to be like God and he wanted to be served. And so when Jesus Christ came into the world, he rebuked the devil and saying, that's not how God is. I, God, serve. I serve you. So Satan didn't understand that the position of authority he had in eternity past was so that he could serve his fellow angels and serve the Lord. And he misunderstood that. So this word theokinia, remember, just like it is today in our day and age, slavery, servanthood is looked down upon. It's always, I, me, me, mine, the big shot, and people look at, uh, I get to call the shots, and I'm the big guy, and I'm the, you know, look at corporate America, with the greed, and the power struggles, and politics, and no, and politics is about service, but we don't see that in our country, it's becoming less and less the case, they don't understand the concept of servanthood. Of course they don't. They have, they're of the devil's world unless they're a Christian who understands the word of God and is in fellowship with God. But we are all about serving each other. And the pastor, he serves. He serves by giving the word of God, feeding the flock of God, shepherding the flock of God, preaching the word of God, rebuking when necessary, encouraging, instructing in righteousness, that's how he has to give his life to serve. That's what Paul did. That's what all the apostles did after they received the Spirit and they got on the right page. And so Paul understood that. And he's calling this delivery of this gift from the Macedonian churches to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were poor as service. It's my service to them. And it wasn't beneath him. He didn't say, oh, somebody else take that. And he's, and I'll delegate it. No, Paul took it upon himself because he understood the magnitude of this gift. I'm sure he could have delegated it, but he didn't because he understood that it was very critical because Jerusalem was where the mother church was. And that's where he was trying to make an impact with the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. He wanted to have that unity. So he knew it was critical that he himself personally delivered this gift so that the, Jew, the, the Gent, uh, Jewish church would actually ex become more acceptable of Paul's. I'm going to show you in a quote. Not everybody in the Jewish church in Jerusalem 
trusted Paul. You gotta remember where the guy used to do. He used to persecute Christians. There was, and then he goes out and gives the gospel to the Gentiles. Jewish believers even mistrusted the apostle Paul. Imagine what that must have been like for this guy who loved his country, who loved these people, and yet people didn't trust him. So that was something that Paul had to deal with in his life. Now, when he says, for Jerusalem, that indicates in Romans 15, 31, when he says that uh, in, in the passage, he says, and that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. For Jerusalem is actually talking about the believers there. It indicates that Paul is requesting that the Roman believers pray that his ministry on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the Jewish saints in that city. And then we have the phrase, may prove acceptable. It's a couple of words. We have the verb, yinoma, which is translated, may prove. And then with it, we have the word, ephrostectos, which is translated acceptable. Now, this verb, yinoma, means to possess certain characteristics with the implication of their having been acquired. Now, in our passage, the word is used with Paul's service in delivering to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem the offering from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia as its subject. It thus speaks of this service on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem as possessing the characteristic of being acceptable to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. I can't imagine them ever wanting to reject this gift. It would have melted their hearts, I'm sure, and must have melted their hearts. So he, he wanted this to be acceptable. I'm going to show you in Acts that it was accepted. Now, the middle voice of this verb is a permissive middle. It indicates that Paul's service in delivering the Gentile offering to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem as the subject is receiving the action of being accepted by the Jewish saints in that city. Meaning, it, the middle voice says they accepted it for their, their benefit. It was beneficial to them because it provided for them their needs. Remember, they were destitute. The, many of the Jewish believers in that city were destitute because of persecution. When you, as I've said many times, when you got kicked out of the synagogue, you lost your business contacts. Unless you had some other contacts outside the region, you were cooked. And you lost your job, you lost your businesses, if you, if you had that. There's your income is gone, and next thing you know, you're out on the street. However, Christian love, the, working, the spirit working through God's people provided for the needs of these poor Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem. The word acceptable, f prostectos, means acceptable, and it's used, of course, here, of Paul's service on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Hold your place. Go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 21, verse 1, please. We were there last evening. We'll go there again. Acts 21, 1. Now, last evening we were in this passage and we were demonstrating that the first prayer request that Paul had, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, was fulfilled. It did come to pass. God did answer it. And as we saw at the end of Acts chapter, uh, 20, and Acts chapter 22 and 21. Now, here we're going to go to this passage again in Acts because we want to show that this service, this gift that Paul delivered to the poor saints in Jerusalem, was accepted and actually they gladly received Paul and everything he came with. Now look at Acts 21.1. It says, When we had, uh, when we had, uh, depart- we had parted from them, the, the pastors in Ephesus, and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we came inside of Cyprus, 
Leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria, which is north of Israel, of course, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. Tyre was a big economic area. It was a bustling metropolis, kind of like New York City. It was the New York City of the ancient world. Big, big business economic center. Look at verse 4. And after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Based upon what the Spirit was saying to them, that he would be incarcerated, they told him not to go. Then he goes on to say in verse 5. When our days there were ended, we left and departed, started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we're out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his hands and feet, feet, not feet, hands and feet, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. As I mentioned last evening, Basically what Paul, uh, Peter did to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to get, I'm going to be mistreated by the Jewish leaders. I'm going to be handed over and crucified. No, 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 Peter says, don't do that. And that, what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Satan was using Peter to try to influence the Lord not to go to the, to go to the cross. Of course, Satan knows that he would be defeated at the cross. In the same way, we see that the, 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 the believers who are receiving this information from the Holy Spirit were misinterpreting it. Basically, they're saying, I don't want you to get hurt, Paul, so don't go. But Paul knew that it was in the will of God for him to suffer. In fact, he says to the Philippians in Philippians 1.29 that it is a honor and a privilege to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 13, Then Paul answered, What are you doing? They're all emotional. Weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us, Nason us, uh, the, uh, of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. They were in Jerusalem and they were received gladly, which means they accepted the gift that they brought along with them. And then it says, in the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And after they greeted them, began, they began to relate to one another, to one by one, the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. One of the things was this gift that they had provided. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, the Jewish believers there. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousand, and then he goes on to say, as we saw last evening, uh, about, the, the, about evangelizing the Jewish believers. We won't go into that. I just wanted to show you up to this point that the gift, they were received and the gift was received. They were received with open arms. Thus, the prayer of the Roman believers was, uh, except, uh, was uh, uh, answered by God. Now go back to Romans 15.31 and we'll end this. Look at Romans 15.31.
So Paul says in Romans 15, 31, the first uh, prayer uh, request that he has for the Romans, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. That took place when the Roman commander uh, spared Paul and saved Paul from the, the mob, as we saw last evening. And then the second request, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. We saw that was answered as well. When he says saints, that it might be proved acceptable to the saints, that's res- describing all the members of the body of Christ in Jerusalem who've been set apart through the baptism of the Spirit at the moment of conversion and ordered to serve God exclusively. So this word, it functions as what we call an ethical dative or a dative of opinion, and that's important because it indicates that Paul desires that his service on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and delivering this gift would, in the opinion of, or in the judgment of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, be acceptable. And as we saw, that was the case. We saw that in the book of Acts. Now, let me give you my translation of verses 30 and 31, and then I want to give you a quote from uh, Kenneth Wiest, which has a, he has a great insightful uh, comment, and I, I can't do better than what he has. So we're going to read that after I give you my translation of these two verses. Paul says, Now I appeal to each and every one of you, spiritual brothers and sisters, without exception, and on the basis of the common relationship we share with our Lord, namely Jesus, who is the Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love, which is produced by the Spirit, to fight together with me by means of your prayers in the presence of God the Father on behalf of me, in order that I would be rescued from those who exist in a state of unbelief in Judea, and in addition, that my ministry, which is on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, would be considered acceptable in the judgment of the saints. Now, Kenneth Weist, he has a... uh, I highly recommend this particular... He has a four-volume set that talks about the Greek New Testament, and he, and he has an expanded translation that was ahead of its time when he came out back in the 40s and the 50s. But he makes a great quote about this passage that we just re- studied. He says the following, the reason for, and I'm quoting from him, the reason for Paul's apprehension of what he might encounter in Jerusalem is made clear in Denny's note. Denny was a commentator on the book of Romans. It was not the unbelieving Jews only who hated Paul. To them he was an apostate who had disappointed all their hopes. But even Christian Jews, in many cases, regarded him as false to the nation's prerogative, and especially to the law. There was a real danger, he says, that the contribution he brought from the Gentile churches might not be graciously accepted, and even accepted at all. It might be regarded as a bribe, in return for which Paul's opposition to the law would be condoned. And the equal standing of his upstart churches in the kingdom of God Acknowledged. Then he goes on to say, in closing, it was by no means certain that it would be taken as what it was, a pledge of brotherly love. And God alone could dispose the saints to take it simply as it was offered. You know why the the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem accepted this gift? They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. They had two choices to do with the conviction. They could either get I don't want to accept it, get away from me, or they did the right thing. Their hearts melted and said, of course we accept this. How could you not? It would be, if they didn't, it would be cold-hearted, it would be cruel. And this would, and the fact that they did accept it means that they weren't grieving the Holy Spirit. They were accepting it, even though they had their doubts about Paul, as, as Weiss points out. But they, the Holy Spirit convicted them and they did something about the conviction. They did the right thing. They made the right decision. They said, we accept that. 
we accept you, our brothers. We take this as a token of your love and unity, and we love you, and we love you back, and thank you so much for this, and we accept you, Paul, and that's what took place. And of course, it turned out that the, uh, the unbelieving Jews in that city attempted to kill him, but he was delivered because of the prayers of the saints. Well, we run out of time. We're going uh, to have our prayer meeting after I close in prayer. We'll take a couple of minutes, and then we'll... We'll uh, have our prayer meeting and then we'll have our deacons meeting. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, uh, challenge us with the things that we've heard, instruct us, guide us, and encourage us, Father. We thank you so much for your word and the Spirit. And we pray that the Spirit would do a mighty work in speaking to your people. And we pray that the hearts of your people would be wide open and ready for the seed of the word to be planted. And we pray that it would be watered as well. And so, Father, we pray that for the upcoming uh, meeting, uh, the deacons meeting, and also we pray for the prayer meeting, of course, which is very important that will be taking place in the next few moments. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's take a a couple of minute break and then we'll have our prayer.